Dropping once. Now throwing long down the left side. Slaughter has it. He's going in for a touchdown. The Browns have won the game. Throwing deep down the left side. Slaughter is open. He got the ball. My DBN brothers and sisters, I'm a Browns fan who's hopeful for some Mangini magic. You're listening to Straight No Chaser. My name is Sloney7, and I'm getting down like Encyclopedia Brown right here on the DBN Network. Well, I don't know what you were doing uh, this Saturday around 12 o'clock Eastern Time, but I was watching the Ohio State Buckeyes. win uh, their 12th of 13 from the team up north. And, you know, that really doesn't get tiring for me. You know, because most of my formative years, I guess they were spent in the Cooper era. You know, and I felt you know pretty good about watching Ohio State go up and take care of business in the big house. And I felt pretty good the whole time, basically, until I saw uh, the press conference uh, from O'Corn. That's the quarterback from the Wolverines. And, and that quarterback at the University of Michigan's presser, it was it was actually a really difficult thing to watch, man. The guy was breaking down, talking about how he had spent his whole uh, career just coming to Michigan, just trying to do something that the seniors were totally unable to accomplish. And suddenly, kind of, I remembered how bad it was to be on the other side of that gulf, man. And then, of course, I remember that Sunday was coming in, but we all saw what happened yesterday. Well... Welcome to the Monday morning after edition of Straight No Chaser. Yeah, I did my usual routine, uh, except for after this game, I was actually in a particularly bad mood. You know, I, I kind of don't even know why I care anymore. I mean, I'm pretty sure what's going to happen when these games start. Uh, anyways, I guess somewhere during the game, maybe toward the end of the game, like my my lady asked me to unload the dishwasher. And I don't know, something about the way she asked me just kind of got on my nerves, man. And I did it. But I did it with spite and with malice, man. And looking back on it, you know, I'm actually kind of sorry that I was acting this way. And I had to go back and apologize to her then and probably got to do it again later. And, you know, that's just kind of how it is. And, you know, I have to clarify. Easy made a comment about my complimenting his show. And I kind of think that he felt that when I was commenting or saying something, I was calling him kind of a Pollyanna and saying that I liked how, how he was so positive about the Browns. And it's not it's not this at all. Bro, easy, I don't think that you're a Pollyanna or, you know, just, you know, somebody who just, like, blindly just says positive things about the team. For me, what I think you are is you're a true journalist. You're able to keep an objective mindset, even in the midst of overwhelming negativity. And for me, that's just something I can't do. And, and my... my my girl would say this. The dishes in the kitchen would say this, man. I just need a night's sleep. I mean, probably some alcohol, some red wine, but definitely a night's sleep before I can comment on the team. And that's pretty much what I'm doing today. I guess with that, I guess it's about time for me to get into the meat of this show. Uh, 
I really wanted to talk about, you know, initially the kind of overall state of the team. You know, when Sashi addressed the media earlier in the year, he talked about how it wasn't going to necessarily be about wins and losses when he was going to evaluate this team. Because, you know, for him and for the building of the team, it's not just about wins and losses. And this organization has already established itself at a historic level of futility. Right now, it's basically about how soon can this downturn end. And, like, the the first place you want to look at when you talk about where, where we're going after this is it's probably with Hugh Jackson and Hugh's job. You know, when, when he started as coach, I, I think Hugh really did expect to win. I mean, now he's sitting at 0-11. But at 0-3, uh, during this year, we put out the... Uh, a, the Lake Erie Coast Guard on notice and at 0-5 we put it at watch and at 0-8 we were definitely saying that it's at high alert and that's when we saw the deadline drama go down but now now this team is sitting at 0-11 and and you gotta ask yourself is there really any way this guy can survive this I've alluded to it before I mean I I still technically I'm for keeping this guy even at 0-16 but in reality at 0-16, it's hard to imagine this regime uh, being able to remain in place. I'm sure there have to be changes made, and I would say that Hugh Jackson would be probably the top of everybody's list to, uh, to be a change made if that was the condition or the case being 0-16 for sure. But I alluded to this before at the beginning. There's a chance that Hugh Jackson, if he had some Mangini magic, could find a way to actually save his job for this season. I don't know if you recall the 2009 season where coach Eric Mangenius began his tenure. I think it was with a 1-10 and 10 start, only to rally to finish the season at 5-11. and 11. And I don't know if you remember these teams, but like, this guy did it with defense and special teams, uh, sometimes employing the Wildcat with Josh Cribbs at quarterback. And, I, you know, I want to explore this possibility, the possibility that the Browns have some kind of a, you know, miraculous recovery at the end of the year and don't end the season at 1-15 or, of course, 0-16. Actually play uh, in a way that it actually seems like the Browns are making the kind of growth and improvement that they're going to need to have long-term development for the squad. There's really, uh, you know... I also kind of look at this uh, from the from the position of looking at uh, Hugh Jackson's last press conferences, and I was actually in my mind right now was the the comments from Sasnash, as he had been stating uh, a couple of times that he saw that Jackson's face, Jackson's uh, nonverbal communication, kind of indicates that he's given up on the team and that maybe he feels that his demise has already been predetermined. You know. And even though this might be the case, for me, I, I still think that there are still some things to watch about going into the next five games of the season. The two major things that I'm looking at, above all the other ones, though, are one is how much better can Deshaun Kaiser play? And two, just how much does Josh Gordon add to this Cleveland Browns team? 
These are really the only two reasons why I want to watch the Browns play out the string. You might also add the defense, because the defense is actually interesting as well. It's going to be interesting to see if they're going to have a few dominating performances like the one they did with the Titans and in the Jags game. It's going to be interesting to see if Jabril Peppers can start to step up and be more consistent. Now, to be honest, I've been pretty... Uh, I've been pretty rough on Jabril Peppers. I mean, he is from Michigan, so I can't really help it in some ways. But honestly, in the last couple of games, he's shown a bit of resurgence, kind of putting together a more complete game this game than he's done in the past. So perhaps Jabril Peppers has started to turn a corner. We'll have to see about that moving forward as well. But for me, the rest of the season is about Kaiser and about Josh Gordon. And the defense is probably going to have to have some uh, pretty solid performances in, in order to keep uh, the offense in games that are winnable. But, yeah, make no mistake, if the Browns are going to eradicate that donut in the win column, they're going to have to do it because of the work of Deshaun Kaiser and Josh Gordon. Well, Deshaun Kaiser, if you watch his progression from the beginning of the year, from that Steelers game, all the way uh, through this uh, Bengals game in week uh, number, uh, game number 11, Kaiser is definitely an improved player. I mean, look back to the home game he had against the same team uh, that we played this week. And Mano made a point about it. He was saying that it was like, yeah, Mano was supposing that the windows were so tight that as he recognized them, he would be like, oh, crap, and kind of rush his delivery and overshoot. And for me, I kind of thought the same thing. The analogy I use, of, of course, is the standard transmission versus the automatic transmission getting in and kind of finding that sweet spot to where your body and your mind are working simultaneously to make the car move as it's supposed to. Yeah, for me, I felt like Kaiser needs these reps this year. And the more he's played, the more that his body looks in tune with what he's seeing. He's anticipating the game a bit better. That play to where he threw Coco uh, over the top was an example of it. And also that TD pass that wasn't a TD pass. As good as he's gotten, he's still... Um, man, I really wanted to stand that point for a second longer. He's uh, really shown uh, that he is anticipating better and being uh, more in tune with what his offense is asking him to do. Um, he's still struggling with being a leader of the team. He's making a lot of rookie mistakes kind of as a field general, both at the end of the half and in the red zone. But Kaiser is certainly a player that you could build around. And it's not a foregone conclusion that at the top of the graph, you're going to have to draft a player who's going to be responded or needed to be kind of the, you know, the savior of the organization. It's very possible that this team can build around Deshaun Kaiser. But one key thing about it is some of the weapons that Kaiser have ha has had during this year have been very inconsistent. And I think they've slowed his growth down. I think anybody could, you know, watch this team could reasonably assume this. But the second piece is... You know, what's really so interesting for me watching these last five games, it's watching Josh Gordon. You know, I'm putting together an entire piece on Josh Gordon. It should be ready later this week. And really, I don't think you can overstate how important having Josh Gordon is to Hughes' offense. Hughes said it was like Christmas, kind of getting a toy at Christmas. And I was like, really? A toy at Christmas? I don't know. You know, maybe that's probably how Hugh feels. But getting Jackson, you know, is a little bit more than getting like a Transformer or some G.I. Joe. You know, maybe getting a kicker would be like getting a Christmas gift or some toy, you know. It'd be something you need, you don't have, you know, something nice like, you know, ah, you can reliably make kicks. Thanks, Sashi. Thanks, Sashi, so much, you know. That's what be, getting a kicker would be like, you know. But 
Getting Josh Gordon, it's just so much more than that for Hugh Jackson's offense. Josh Gordon is a vital cog in this offensive machine. Right now, I'm looking at my guitar in, in the corner of the room. And for me, adding Josh Gordon to this offense would be like adding strings for a guitar. It's the difference between twiddling your thumbs and rocking out to Jimi Hendrix or Nirvana live at a concert. Don't you know this feeling? You remember this feeling, that football feeling of Nirvana that could come back next week? Even though they probably won't win in L.A., that feeling could come back again. They could win three of their last four games and suddenly realize just how good offense, just how good Jackson's offense could be with the right pieces. You know, I feel that over the year, the course of this year, there's a significant gap between the front office and what they provided to Hugh and what Hugh wants to do. And I feel like the gap narrowed a little bit between year one and year two and could be even better with another offseason. But I can also see how the team might want to have a more flexible scheme that could win with inferior talent, but it just seems silly. Why would you plan for that? It looks like the Browns would be right where they need to be right now with Hugh Jackson and Deshaun Kaiser if they could find a way to stay the course. It just seems like it's it's right there for them to take it. Any Going back on this, adding somebody else, just add so many more variables. You don't really know where you're going to go after this, and you're going to have even more people to get in, in sync with. It just seems like it would be a much easier course to stay with Jackson, of course. But like I said, I can totally understand why people wouldn't feel this way. I get it. We'll just move on. To me, this game was a snapshot uh, of where the team is. And, and to me, it's really inconsistent. Uh, some of this inconsistency is due to injuries. Some is due to youth. Some is just crazy penalties that come up and affect the game in a negative way for the Browns as well. And really, to me, I, I'm a person who doesn't like to get on officials. I've been saying this a lot the last couple of weeks. I don't like to do it. But then I'm doing it over and over again, so maybe I do like it. But for me, the game's are becoming boring because of the officiating. And that's really the problem that I have with them. I mean, that play where they got Treggs for taunting, man. And I first saw it on tape, and I'm like, I feel like I felt like the, the DB from the Bengals was all over Treggs. And then they threw the flag on Treggs. I mean, I'm not really sure how that could happen. And I'm also a little bit miffed about the coverage of it. They hardly even showed it then on the, the coverage right afterwards. And I was a little bit upset about this. But the, the real problem with it is the way that it affects the game. And it made the game a lot more boring. It gave an oppor- it took an opportunity away from the Browns to keep the game close and interesting. And in the end, like, I just don't, I don't understand why, yeah, officials are making calls in this way to affect the games. And, uh, of course, there was a play by Julius, Pe- sorry, Julius Peppers, Jabril Peppers on the sideline uh, where he lit up the receiver to separate him from the ball, which, in my opinion, I, I, I still don't understand how this could be a penalty in this situation, and I don't know. For me, it was one of my one of my one of the best plays the Browns have made on defense in this way all year. And all of a sudden, it's getting you know, you know, tacked on a huge penalty to the play, and which sets them up for another touchdown. And of course, there was the play in the end zone with McCourty, which, in my opinion. This didn't even look like pass interference at all. I mean, the first time I saw it, I'm like, man, nice play. And on the replay, I felt even better about the work of McCourty. I just, I I fail to understand how this ends up being something that causes the Browns. And 
It's, it's essentially something that robbed us from what could have been a normally depressing loss and turned it into more of a snooze fest at the end of the game. And I don't know. It was surprising to see how well the Bengals ran against the Browns. Earlier in the year, Chris talked, uh, Chris Pokorny, uh, the lead writer at Dogs by Nature, was talking with the Cincy Jungle, asking the point about having three backs, uh, Hill, uh, Bernard, as well as Mixon in, in the rotation for them. And I think they felt that having three backs was a little too much. And now that Hill's gone, I think that Mixon is really emerging as the player that we all thought he would be. Uh, to me, he looks like some type of a version of Bell. Not as much as a, re- a receiver as Bell is, but definitely a menace when he has the ball in his hands. Now, on the Brown side of things, they were able to run the ball, um, I'd say more than they had in the past, but maybe not yet to the optimal 30 times a game that I would like to see them do it. You know, I liked the production that they got on the ground, but I felt like they needed maybe one more running back, maybe another grinder. I'm not really sure who they're looking for in the draft coming up this one. There's plenty of solid running backs in the, gra- in the, ba- in the draft. I love Barkley. I also love the two running backs for um, Georgia as well. There's a lot of good talent uh, at that position coming up in this draft. You know, another thing that I think that they missed, they missed having Joe Thomas back there. I mean, Lawson ate Drango's lunch today. And like I was saying before, when teams know the Browns are going to throw, they can reliably speed rush on the Edwin Drango there. And this was no example, I mean. That Lawson was flat out awesome, awesome today against uh, Drango, and uh, I feel like definitely they're going to have to get a draft uh, to draft a tackle amongst the first six picks uh, to to deal with the inevitability of, of Thomas uh, moving on in his career. And additionally, the wide receivers, you know, it was a mix, mixed bag with them, some of their play today. Kenny Britt was amazing, and I really liked. The effort, uh, the intensity with his two big catches. Uh, Coleman, of course, was a mixed bag because he had the great production, but then the huge drop in the end zone, which, man, oh, man, this is a pass that uh, it's, it's, it should be a touchdown for Deshaun Kaiser. And it's, it's a little sad that his production was uh, ended up being affected by that play by Coleman. Uh, Ricardo Lewis, I, I feel like that guy has no place in the NFL. Higgins, I kind of like this guy. But maybe the last guy on your roster, perhaps? Wide receiver's going to have to get addressed early in this draft as well. Uh, For me, going into the draft in this offseason, I'm looking at it. It's a quarterback, free safety, offensive tackle, wide receiver, running back, quarterback. You know, it's all about, you know, what players are available. But ideally, this is the order that I would go. I would also maybe take another wide receiver and perhaps even another quarterback to replace the... Kessler and Hogan's role on this roster as well. You know, <clears throat> I've always, I've, I've been saying, you know, last week I made a comment about Baker Mayfield about not wanting to have that guy on the team. You know, and I listened to how easy talks about it and I've watched some of the tape of him and it's not that I think that the, the football assessments of him are bad. I think he's actually surprisingly a good prospect on tape. I just don't want to cheer for him. I mean, it was a way that he stuck the flag in the, in the block O at Ohio State. To me, that was awful. It's just like a, a, a jerk move to do. But I could have I could have lived with this 
in a vacuum. It's just some of the other stuff with him that's coming out. He just, just seems like a jerk. Like, just not the kind of guy you want around a struggling franchise. I, I kind of don't want anything to do with him. And uh, it's it's not even the same way that I felt about JFF, you know. I was actually more intrigued by the, the game of him than Mayfield in some ways. Mayfield just seems like way more of a jerk, you know. I, I don't know. Which is weird, I mean, considering the JFF, right? I, the case that I was making, I guess, in one of the threads, one of the daily dog chow pieces, I was talking about Josh Allen. And uh, I've already taken a few arrows from my opinion about him from BK, BKIG, who is a poster who I genuinely respect. I mean, he said that Kaiser, that he's exactly like Kaiser, uh, Josh Allen. And that's why you don't want to have him on the team. But for me, I kind of felt like that's what I did want with him. For me, I feel like when you're building a team, you want to build uh, with quarterbacks that have similar skill sets so that if one goes down, the other one can come back in and you can keep relatively the same offense, which is something that happens totally differently every time with every quarterback we add into the roster. Everybody does something a little differently and the offense has to change so drastically when someone goes in and out. Whereas when you had Josh Allen in place, Josh Allen can learn exactly from what... um, Deshaun Kaiser is doing an improve upon this, perhaps. For me, I feel like if Allen wasn't better than Deshaun Kaiser, I don't think I would take the the, the pick drafting him, but I kind of feel like Josh Allen is a better version of Deshaun Kaiser. So I wouldn't mind building a team around Deshaun Kaiser and then bringing Josh Allen if Deshaun Kaiser doesn't prove he can lead the team. And in the end, if, if you don't feel like, if you feel like he does lead the team, then you have a huge, valuable trade piece that you can use to move or one of the best backup quarterbacks in the league. It just depends. It depends on what you do. But in the end, I really, really like Josh Allen. The more I watch him on tape, the more I like him. A lot of people didn't like him coming into this year with some of the work that he's done. But for me, I've seen a lot of things that I like what he does. I like the way he is in the pocket. He's a very big, a strong guy. He moves around well in the pocket. He plays in a pro-style offense. He's tough to bring down. But he has an absolute cannon for an arm and can put the ball everywhere on the field with ease. He's going to need some time to adjust to the speed of the game. You might not have to draft him at number one, but you also might. You you don't really know what this guy... I I saw a draft the other day that didn't have Allen in the top two rounds of of picks. But to me, I I really feel like when the dust starts to settle, he's definitely going to be a a quarterback that goes in the top half of the first round and people start to see his uh, athletic skill set. You know, compared to the other the people available, I feel like they're going to want to take this guy. And if it wasn't for Allen, I also could go with Rosen. I also like Rosen a lot. He's a very good prospect, athletic gunslinger, comes from a pro-style offense as well. I like this guy too. You know, I guess for me, my top three would be Allen, Rosen, and Jackson. You know, there are a few more under-the-radar types that I'll look forward to as the draft gets a little closer, kind of developmental types. But, you know, I don't know. It's really weird. I, I, I don't want to spend too much time looking at this until the season is over because most of where we would go depends on the coaching staff and what kind of offensive things they'd like to accomplish. Right now, all this is unclear. So I guess I'm just going to get hyped about watching Josh Gordon and we'll watch this play this squad play out the string. Well, with that, we can put this one in the books. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to make the DBN a part of your day. Please leave a comment if the spirit moves you, as we appreciate hearing these things. Well, that was your dose of the straight truth. 
You've been listening to Straight No Chaser. I am your host, Bologna7 on the DBN Network. Take care. Gasson is kneeling in the 17, 37-yard attempt. The kick is up. It is good. The Browns have won the game. The Browns have won the game in double overtime. 23-20. And the stadium is gone for dirt. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.